0: You're listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. We are coming up on Trinity Sunday, and in most churches, that means that it's the one Sunday a year we get to say the Athanasian Creed, and personally, I love this creed, and I wish we would say it more often. That's just my opinion. I think my guest might also share that opinion, the Reverend John Denzer, Director of Worship for the LCMS and International Center Chaplain. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Hey, sir. It's great to be back.
0: We're talking about the Athanasian Creed. It's a good day. I'm a little geeked about it, not going to yeah. lie. <laughs> so first... Um, uh, let's lay some groundwork. What is the Athanasian Creed?
1: Sure. The Athanasian Creed is considered to be one of our um, the ecumenical creeds. That ecumenical means uh, considering the universal church. Uh, and that's because essentially everyone... Uh, who holds the Trinitarian faith accepts it. The Roman Catholic Church accepts it. The Eastern Orthodox Church accepts it. The Lutherans have it right in our Book of Concord, right after the other two creeds that we know a lot better. <laughs> and uh, even the Protestants uh, uh, tend to accept this. You know, they don't maybe confess it. They don't confess any creeds a lot of times. Uh, but but if pushed, they would say, well, yeah, that confesses the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, is, this is the most extensive of the creeds. I think that's probably the reason it doesn't get said as much, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it's a little harder to memorize, mm-hmm. uh, but it also has kind of the most character, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and is is really an enjoyable thing. So it's called the Athanasian Creed, named after St. Athanasius. He was a pastor in uh, Alexandria, uh, lived from about 295 to 373 A.D., And uh, he was secretary to Alexander, the bishop of Alexandria, at the Council of Nicaea. Okay, Mm -hmm. so he's the guy taking all the notes. Uh, You know, he's a powerhouse thinker already, Uh, and uh, that's the big council that deals with the Arian heresy. Arius said there was a time when the Son was not, Mm. uh, that uh, that Jesus or the Son of God Christ is not fully. Divine. He's not of one substance with the Father. He's actually just the greatest creature. He's the best creature, but he is a creature of God. Hmm. And, and that's a heresy. Yeah. Uh, and so, so this, this battle in the fourth century um, that's the 300s AD. Uh, the, the fruit of this, you know, fights are never exciting, but we're the church militant and we have to stand up for what the truth is from Scripture. The The fruit of this really is fantastic confessions. It's clarifying about what is it that we do believe about Jesus Christ, his, his human nature and divine nature, and in what way are those connected, and uh, who is the Holy Trinity, right? How is our God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, and yet one God, not multiple gods? Um, and and the the fruit of that then is the creeds as kind of simple and repeated confessions of what the Bible says, but boiled down and focused in on this one these two points, right? The Trinity and who Jesus is. Well, the Athanasian Creed does that in a little more depth and in a little more. Um, uh, I think poetry. I would say mm-hmm. it really has some a rhythm to it, and uh, and that's very delightful. Uh, so it's called the Athanasian Creed after this uh, great defender of the faith who was exiled five times. <laughs> uh, there was a time when he really, I mean, the the position of the church, the the teaching of the scriptures about the Trinity, was the minority opinion around the world, <laughs> and it looked as if Arianism, these these false understandings where Jesus is less than God would have prevailed, you know, if you were humanly speaking about it. Uh, mm-hmm. But on, on you know, the, the epigraph for Athanasius is Athanasius contra mundum. It's Athanasius against the world. Uh, <laughs> and, and he kind of stood like that at some points. It seemed like it was just him standing on the side of what the Bible actually taught. But... Um, you know, thanks be to God, the truth has been preserved. And at this point in history is, in fact, the, the vast majority of Christians are uh, confessing truthfully with the scriptures. So even though this creed most likely was not written by Athanasius, a couple things that, that make that pretty obvious. Mostly it's written in Latin, and, and he was a Greek writer. Mm. Uh, it also is first kind of is seen about 100 years after he's around, so it's it's not likely that he really composed it. Uh, Probably a guy named Vincent, actually, is the guy who wrote it. (laughs) But... um but it's been accepted by the church because it is true and similar to the Apostles Creed which wasn't written by the twelve apostles it reflects their teaching and so kind of as an honorific title we're not ashamed to call it to this day the Athanasian Creed it's absolutely a confession of what he taught and fought for in his lifetime and it's something that we continue to believe to this day it's it's what the it's what the Bible teaches if you were to take the time to ask these questions very pointedly and say let's gather all the evidence in the scriptures and and confess just what the Bible says. The Athanasian Creed is a beautiful way to do that.
0: Absolutely. And it, it's it's uh, different than the Apostles and the Nicene. A lot of times when, when we say those two, uh, you know, alternating weeks or whatever in church, it's easy to get those words confused sometimes yeah. in certain parts. But the Athanasian Creed is uh, very much not in that t- uh t- the same kind of structure
1: as those two creeds you can see how those creeds are really based around the trinity right i Mm -hmm. believe in the father i believe in the son i believe in the holy spirit Uh, the athanasian creed is very different it has kind of two focal points and then it's got an intro and an outro if you will (laughs) Uh, and, and the two questions are this um who is our god who is it that we worship and the answer is we worship one god in trinity and Trinity in Unity, um, so this three persons, one God, is is kind of the short way we often say it. Trinity in Unity and Unity in Trinity might be the, I mean, that's the Athanasian Creed's way of saying it. Mm-hmm. After it goes for a long time about who this, how is our God three and yet one, then it asks a second question, which is, uh, what about the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ? That mm-hmm. is, how is it that uh, he is true God? And at the same time, true man, and it explains that by both showing what it doesn't mean and what it does mean. And, and why is why are these two things important? Because these are the understanding of the God who saves us. Uh, and it is not like God is one thing and his decision to save mankind was kind of another thing uh, <laughs> out of the blue for him. No, it's part of his character as as love. I mean, something as simple as what John says, right, that God is love uh, out of his character as this three in one. Um, uh, that, this, that he is eternal and divine, and, and he, he sticks to his word. Out of this, then, he reaches out to save fallen humanity. Um, and we see in the incarnation of Christ how, of course, uh, we needed our Lord to be one with us in our flesh to, so that he can suffer and die in our place, but also that it couldn't be a man who saved us. It had to be God himself answering his own demands in Christ Jesus. And uh, the part of this creed that is most familiar to us, or is going to be most similar to those other two, is is the part that talks about the salvation that Jesus has done. What he, what has he done in his flesh? That he suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose again the third day, ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand, will return to judge the living and the dead. That sounds almost exactly like the Nicene and Apostles' creeds, too. So, mm-hmm. But now we're going to really focus in this creed about who is the Holy Trinity, and what does it mean that... Jesus is God and man.
0: Yes. Shall we dig into what it actually says? Let's do it. I know you, you brought me a worksheet. I love this. <laughs>
1: this is what I use with my catechism kids. Yes. It's mostly just the text of the creed. <laughs> I, I gotta be honest with you, I really do think the Athanasian Creed is the best way to teach and explain the Holy Trinity. Mm. Sometimes people would say, well, that can't be because it's not very simple, right? It's How can the longest thing <laughs> be the easiest way to explain it? But it really does kind of leave you no other options mm-hmm. other than to confess the truth, because it carefully cuts off what it doesn't mean. And, and this is what makes, like we said, the rhythm of the Athanasian Creed, that the Father is not created, the Son is not created, the Spirit is not created. And yet, there's only one eternal right mm-hmm. uh, so so this, these kind of patterns that build up not only have the all the poetry of some great children's story uh, or even of like genesis right there was evening and there was morning the first day there was evening and there was morning the second day and god looked and said it was good right these are the parts that all the children chime in and repeat after you the athanasian creed has that and at the same time then slowly cuts off and points us in the right direction to confess truthfully what god says it starts off in a way that's that's maybe weird and and maybe the first thing that we would have a question with. Mm-hmm. It's it's with these words: whoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic faith, and whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will, without doubt, perish eternally. Okay, pretty pretty serious, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's helpful to know that in the, in the other creeds, particularly the Nicene Creed, there were these condemnations, these anathemas, uh, which we as Lutherans should be familiar with. This is the way our Augsburg Confession goes also. It, it talks about first, what do we believe? This is the true thing that we believe. But then it also goes on to say, we reject something as a result of that. Uh, it's not kind of like I have my truth and you have your truth. That's the way a lot of people talk in our day. Mm -hmm. Uh, But our understanding is darkness and light don't actually go together. Truth and error don't coexist happily. Uh, if 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 you believe one thing, sometimes that means you don't believe other things as a result. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, where where clarity is our concern, as in the creeds and, and teaching clearly what God's Word says, we're going to take the time to not only say what we do believe positively, but we're also going to take some time to explain what then is outside of that belief, what then would contradict that belief, and therefore which we ought to avoid saying, and certainly ought to avoid believing. So. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the other thing that's surprising is this word, maybe to some, that this is the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. And on a Lutheran show like this, uh, <laughs> what are we talking about Roman Catholic stuff? Well, it doesn't say Roman Catholic. It says Catholic. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's a very good word. The word Catholic means according to the whole, kind of literally translated. And usually we uh, use the word universal to describe this, right? It's, it's the thing that is believed at all places and all times or, or the thing that is universally held. Um, this is the whole teaching of the scriptures kind of boiled down and condensed and um, uh, so this is kind of—it's not a lowest common denominator, <laughs> but it is, it, it is a greatest common denominator in a way, that this is, this is what all Christians believe, and, uh, and these things are certainly not up for grabs. That's the seriousness of must believe to be saved, and, and if you don't keep it, uh, you'll without doubt perish eternally.
0: Mm-hmm. We should take our break right now, otherwise we're just going to keep going. We are talking about the Athanasian Creed with the Reverend Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the LCMS. Having a lot of fun talking about this. We have a lot more to cover, but we need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. welcome back to the coffee hour i'm sarah gulseth we're talking about the athanasian creed with a trinity sunday coming up very soon joining me the reverend sean denzer we are working through the text of the creed uh this is i'm pretty sure this is my favorite creed so I'm super excited about this. Where do you want to go next?
1: Uh, let's just clarify. So we, before the break, we said, look, there's uh, serious stakes about this faith of ours. Uh, those who believe it and keep it, this is salvation. Mm-hmm. Those who reject it, this is condemnation. Perish eternally is the, is the phrase that's used. So So big stakes. And I think that makes people nervous because when you find mm-hmm. out the topic of this creed is the Trinity, how three equals one— Um, uh, You know, uh, comprehending God himself as he is, uh, you know, the incomprehensible. And I think all of us, whether you're a doctor of theology or whether you're, um, uh, I don't know, just a child growing up, we recognize that seems like an impossible task to understand God. How can we? It, well, actually, it says in the scriptures, right? Who has known and understood the mind of God? This is what Saint Paul writes in Romans. So I think the next line is so important, right? The Catholic faith is this: that we worship, right? So the so the word it uses is not to understand, to comprehend, to get down mm-hmm. pat, to say it in in a precisely the right formulation but it is to worship, right? And worshiping has to do with knowing our God, knowing both who he is and what he has done for us. And so that's going to be the content of this whole thing, right? Uh, In particular, we're going to focus first on this. We worship uh, one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. Now, the word unity is an English word, but the word Trinity... Is not a word at all. It's made up. It's not in the Bible. Uh, and, uh, and that might shock some people, right? Because we talk about the Holy Trinity all the time, and this is Trinity Sunday devoted to this teaching. Um, it's, it's a made up word, and I think we should see this as a great advantage. Why did we have to make up a word to describe our God? It's because you won't be able to discover him just by looking around in the world, right? Nobody else came up with this on their own. It had to be revealed from him. In fact, it is so otherworldly. He's the one who created the world, right? He's not contained by the world. He's not a product of our world that's why um you you're going to have to go outside of the normal vocabulary of everyday life if you want to describe him uh if you want to talk truthfully about him so so we've coined this term in the, in the christian church trinity to describe this three-person nature uh a three-person uh, consisting of god and yet that he is totally united right mm-hmm. so so what does it mean to worship god in trinity and unity neither confusing the persons, right, that we would say the Son and the Father are the same and there's no real difference, uh, but neither dividing the substance to say that one is greater or lesser than or, or the Son is different than the Father. Um, but we're going to try and say this in, in many different ways, that their glory, uh, that their majesty, that their, um, uh, that their substance is in fact the same. They are all truly God. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yet there are there's a distinction. There are three of them
0: mm-hmm. So All right, what's another big thing we should pay attention to looking through the text?
1: Sure, it, it lays out um, you know very clearly about the three persons uh, and about how they're all. Uh, so it has this repeating uh, phrase which I think is very beautiful, right? Um, the father's God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods. But one God. Mm -hmm. And that kind of thing gets repeated over and over again. Um, And we want to acknowledge this truth. We want to acknowledge each person as God and Lord, but we also don't want to say that there are three gods or that God is not one. Mm-hmm. And, and it lays out um, that the Father is not creator or, uh, or made or begotten, and yet we use the word begotten for the Son, and this mm-hmm. comes out of John's Gospel, and that the Holy Spirit uh, proceeds both from the Father and the Son, uh, just as the Nicene Creed in the West says too. At the end of kind of this whole section on the Trinity, um, it, it comes again to repeat what we heard before. So that in all things, as we said above, the trinity in unity and the unity in trinity is to be worshipped. That this is the content of our faith, uh, uh, to keep this thing together and to to worship this God, right? Not just to understand it, not just to have it on paper somewhere, either in a book or even in a song in a creed like this, but that we would actually worship him. Mm -hmm. But. But.
0: Turn the page (laughs) over. (laughs) And and, and,
1: and this should be an exciting but. Uh, It's not a, oh, shoot, we're not done yet. (laughs) <laughs> um, it 's also necessary for everlasting salvation that one faithfully believe the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Incarnation means you can hear uh, like a carnivore in there in meatment yes. uh, being put into the meat into the flesh right that uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as John one fourteen says. And I think Lutherans are very familiar with this. This similar kind of language comes up in our small catechism, talking about the second article of the Creed, that he's at the same time both God and man. Uh, He's God begotten of the substance from his Father from before the world began, right? There wasn't a time when Jesus wasn't, when when the Son of God wasn't. And yet he has a beginning when it comes to his flesh, because he he, uh, uh, is... um, uh, has received this substance, this flesh, from his mother in time, uh, but then there are many beautiful phrases that come out of this. Uh, one of my favorite is this one. It says, uh, "There's he is God and man, and yet there's not two, but there's one Christ." And how can that be? Not by the conversion of the divinity into flesh, right? Which I think a lot of people would be nervous about. Your God's a man? Right. That means your God is not God anymore, right? Mm-hmm. No, that's not what we're saying. He hasn't, the God God hasn't ceased to be God and become man, nor has he become anything else. Rather, it's by the assumption of the humanity into God, right? He takes up this flesh into himself. In fact, if, if there's any kind of uh, communication, uh, it is, in fact, that the the humanity, the flesh of Jesus, is imbued with the powers and the energies that the divine nature has. We see this, by the way, when our Lord Jesus does all sorts of miracles, when He uh, is revealing His glory in the Transfiguration, or or fully and all the time after His uh, uh, descent into hell and His resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think this phrase is very helpful, too. One, altogether, not by the confusion of substance, right? We haven't mixed up God and man into some kind of third amalgamation or, or mutant, but by unity of person, right? Jesus is God. Jesus is man. Therefore, he is both God and man.
0: Mm-hmm. So, What else do we learn about uh, Jesus, or do you want to do you want to get to that before we run out of time? I don't know how much time you want to talk about the, the last section where it says, all those who have done good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire.
1: That's good. I, so I think that might catch some of us off guard, right? It mm-hmm. is coming, all people will rise again with their bodies. No problem there, the general mm-hmm. re- resurrection. And give an account concerning their own deeds. Also not a problem. That's a pretty much direct quote from John's Gospel. Mm-hmm. And those who have done good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. Whoever doesn't believe it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. And I think uh, for for us as Lutherans who have made such a point that our salvation is not by works, Mm -hmm. but by faith in Christ Jesus and what he's done, that that we can mishear this and misunderstand this uh, in a critical way, that it's saying that uh, by good works we are saved. That's actually not what it's saying. Um, And there's two things that make this very clear in the Scriptures, uh, if nowhere else. One is, Paul writes and talks about how, uh, apart from faith, it is impossible to please God which is to say, the only people who have good works are Christians. Um, That isn't to say we can't recognize, you know, noble, moral, civilly good things being done by other people, even if they are unbelievers. Uh, But before God, those works are not pleasing to him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Also, we see this when Jesus tells the parable about the sheep and the goats, right? Which is about this eternal judgment, about when he sends them into eternal fire and he welcomes the sheep into his eternal life. And uh, Jesus is talking about the works there. But he, but he doesn't talk about the works as if they have earned salvation. He shows them as a demonstration of those who believe in him, who know him, who are inheriting, notice not earning at all, but receiving the gift of eternal life from him, as opposed to those who are in fact trusting in themselves and their goodness like those goats did, who want to see all the places they didn't do a perfect job. And, and the Lord, unfortunately, shows them uh, that's what this is talking about. Those Christians who have faith have good works. They'll be shown on the last day and they'll enter into eternal life. Those without faith don't have good works that can save them either. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I, Before we go, just to wrap yeah. up, what is the creed for and when do we use it? Right. Yes. This Athanasian creed is very under, misunderstood in our time. I'm thankful that we use it on Trinity Sunday if no other time. Sometimes we replace the Nicene Creed and the Divine Service with it. Great. It's better than nothing. And at this point, We're some of the only people who make use of it. The Roman Catholic Church really has lost place for it. Uh, uh, Some of the other Protestant churches say it here and there, but not very often. Lutherans might be some of the only ones who use it a lot, and we could stand to use it a lot more. The traditional place for it is actually every Sunday, believe it or not, in prime, which uh, not many of us pray anymore. (laughs) In the midday office when, when you might gather to sing some psalms, and as one of the psalms, they would sing this creed of Athanasius. Uh-huh. And I think that's a good key. It, it was never designed to just be murmured and mumbled the way we mumble the creeds. Really, the creeds weren't designed to be murmured either that are designed to be sung. And of all of them, this one has that rhythm to it. It has those patterns, and it really suggests that singing this would be great. You can find that on uh, the LCMS Worship website, a version of the Athanasian Creed that's been laid out very clearly to be sung back and forth between two groups, or congregation and pastor, or congregation and choir. You also can do that by looking at the one that's right in Lutheran Service Book and just dividing it up line by line between a couple groups, or singing it all together in unison, although it can be a little long, so it's nice to echo it back and forth. To each other, but I would really advocate that its origins and its intended use are as a song, and I think that makes it much more delightful to do something that's a little longer, that's a little repetitive, but it also helps us appreciate the rhythm of this as a as a fantastic way to confess who our God is and who He is in Christ Jesus and what He's done to save us.
0: Yes, uh, yeah, it's it is uh, fun to chant it back and forth and to just uh, just. Uh, confess it on Trinity Sunday and then to read through it uh, during the rest of the year. There's always something new that that pops out at me every time I read through it again. So. Yeah,
1: well, uh, Trinity Sunday is a great start, and I hope that uh, it makes its way back into our use uh, a little bit more here and there.
0: Yeah, and it's not impossible to memorize. I know people who have done it, so if you want a uh, little challenge this summer, We can uh, help you out with laying out the Athanasian creed in a way that is uh, manageable to memorize it over the summer. That would be something super fun to do. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'll actually do it this summer. I get about halfway through and and then I give up.
1: Start (laughs) at the end this time.
0: You know, I need to do that. Just start with the second half. (laughs) Uh, Reverend Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the LCMS and International Center Chaplain, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth.